I think this one passage from the forward sort of sums up why it's a good thing for us to know about today and, and may help us understand how to deal with our problems. Japanese society once faced the prospect of collapse due to environmental degradation, and the fact that it did not is what makes it such an instructive example. Japan entered the Edo period in 1603, facing extreme difficulties in obtaining building timber, suffering erosion and watershed damage due to having clear-cut so many of its mountains for lumber, and virtually unable to expand agricultural production to the degree necessary to feed a growing population. The needs of the urban population, particularly those of the capital city of Edo, but also those of Osaka, Nagoya, and numerous other growing cities, conflicted with those of the rural areas, and the life of farmers was made all the more difficult by their legal obligation to surrender one-third or more of their harvest to support the warrior classes. In terms of environment and natural resources, Japan was both challenged and blessed. The archipelago is extremely mountainous, and arable land is limited to a handful of broad coastal plains and many narrow mountain valleys, amounting to only about one-fourth of the nation's land area. At the start of the Edo period, nearly all of the potentially arable land had already been open to cultivation and was feeding just barely a population of about 12 million. Agricultural land in many areas was showing signs of exhaustion and degradation and output was declining, but the country benefits from a temperate climate and warm ocean currents, and it is blessed with abundant rainfall and a long growing season. Fresh water from snowmelt is generous and fast flowing, and the extensive watersheds drain into innumerable fertile valleys and wetlands. The virgin forest that originally covered the mountains of the archipelago was extensive and diverse in both broadleaf and coniferous species, and it provided an extremely rich habitat in which all manner of flora and fauna flourished. Nature itself had endowed Japan well for human habitation, but by the early 1600s, the land was suffering from over-exploitation by the large population. All the more remarkable, then, that 200 years later, the same land was supporting 30 million people, two and a half times the population, with little sign of environmental degradation. Deforestation had been halted and reversed. Farmland improved and made more productive, and conservation implemented in all sectors of society, both urban and rural. Overall, living standards had increased, and the people were better fed, housed, and clothed, and they were healthier. By any objective standard, it was a remarkable feat, arguably unequaled anywhere else before or since. This success can be credited partly to technological advances and partly to government direction. Agricultural breeding played a part, as did improved hydrology. Design was crucial, as was the timely collection and distribution of information. But more than anything else, this success was due to a pervasive mentality that propelled all of the other mechanisms of improvement. This mentality drew on an understanding of the functioning and inherent limits of natural systems. It encouraged humility, considered waste taboo, suggested cooperative solutions, and found meaning and satisfaction in a beautiful life in which the individual took just enough from the world and not more. The stories in this book describe many more of the more remarkable technical aspects of life during this period, as well as relevant social, political, and economic factors, but their real purpose is to convey this mentality of just enough as it guided the daily life of millions throughout the society. You're listening to stories, poems, music from the creative process. To hear our full interview with Asby Brown, visit One Planet Podcast.
This podcast is produced by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Thanks for listening.